Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Joni Mitchell Podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Scott Johnson. Today's episode features a conversation with my friend Jesse Weinberg about Joni Mitchell's 1982 record, Wild Things Run Fast. It was great to talk to Jesse about this fun record. We reference a couple of times in the interview that we went to the same university, which is Lawrence University in Appleton, Wisconsin. I just wanted to say that at the beginning here for clarification's sake, Lawrence University in Appleton, Wisconsin is a great school. As always, I invite and encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or whatever platform it is that you use to download it. That really, truly does help any podcast that you're enjoying to do. So I hope you'll take a minute to do that. I appreciate the the kind reviews that have come in so far for this show. I also wanted to mention my YouTube project just because I haven't recently. I have a YouTube channel called The Song A Day Project where I record a song a day every day for as long as I can keep doing that. It recently passed 1,700 consecutive days, which is a little over four and a half years. We're cruising right along to uh, year five, which will happen in September of this year. I've had on over 100 guests, but uh, recent guests have included Richie Fure from Buffalo Springfield and Poco, uh, my friend Paula Cole, a 65-piece choir, Jonathan Brook, Glenn Phillips, and many, many more. So I hope you'll check it out. Again, that's called The Song A Day Project, which is all one word. You can search that or my name, which is Zachary Scott Johnson on YouTube, and you should find over 1,700 songs that I've done. I did a cover of Joni's song, Solid Love, that I'll put up in the middle of the episode today just to break up the conversation. We're ready to start the show. All right. I'm happy to be sitting here with Jesse Weinberg. Thank you for doing this. this yeah, is, yeah. Hello, everybody. Glad to be here. Good to reconnect. Yeah. It's been a long time. It sure has. How has everything been going? Things are going well. I've been, you know, living in Milwaukee after Lawrence, and mm-hmm. um, I, I was teaching, and now I'm working at Hal Leonard Corporation, and yeah. uh, working on choir music there. So That's awesome. keeping up with music and singing as much as I can on, on the off times. So, yeah. yeah. Hal, Hal Leonard is like the... They're they're the Mount Rushmore of sheet music, I think. They kind of yeah. During the big recession, they started just buying up all song copyrights, and so pr- pretty much like seventy five percent of what's out there, we we've got rights to something. So That's or good. or there's a smaller company that we actually distribute who has rights. So, right. Yeah. Well, the other uh, thing about them though is their arrangements are legitimately good arrangements, and they well, do that in a way that uh, they they do their arrangements um, in a way that like makes sense for the players i well, think so. yeah i mean, appreciate you it's saying a, that and it's a good company it's a good company and i think it is very artist centric yep. i mean we try to make sure everybody gets paid and um the and it goes back to the writers at the end of the day you know that's kind of what we do since i'm working in the school side there's always an arranger element to take that stuff and filter it through uh, uh, a voice that's good for for you know k to 12 yeah Ages, so cool. Yeah, nice. So I put up a thing on my personal Facebook. Yeah. I don't know, a month or two months ago, and I had a couple reasons for doing it. One is so I've been. I doing didn't this realize podcast. it was a secret trap. I know. Well, that's <laughs> see, I have a reason for this though because um, I asked for for anybody listening. I asked, "What is your favorite?" Just kind of a general like people out there, what is your favorite Joni Mitchell record? Because what I was coming up against, and I'm sure it will be no surprise to you, is everybody was picking the same few. That run of yeah. albums between like 1971 and 1976. And I understand they're really good. They're amazing. 
And so my thought was, I wonder if anybody will choose something besides those records, either the couple before it or the several after it. Mm -hmm. But I knew if I put that out there, that was going to change people's responses. I knew if I included that bit, people would change their answers. Sure. For for one reason or another. Yeah. And so you're one of the very few people who wrote back... (laughs) With the response of it, and a lot of people did, you know, comment oh, on yeah. those records. But yeah. um, Blue was a big one. Oh. Hedro was yeah. very strong. Hedgera yeah. is like the 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 deep one, and Court and Spark. Those are like the three biggest yeah. ones, probably. Which and, are also, I mean, I love them. Though. Right, yeah. and I think you put a couple of those in yours too, because right. you put more right. than one. And then you said something like, "I also have a soft spot for wild things run fast." Yeah. So I trapped you, and I. <laughs> And here I, I am. Yeah. I wrote you and I said, can we talk about Wild Things Run Fast? Yeah. Because actually, out of the 80s record, this is one that has come up with a few other people. Um, a few people have mentioned it in passing that they have a soft spot for this record, too. And I think this one is more accessible than the other 80s records. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But let, let's... So talk we're here to talk yeah. about Wild Things Run right, Fast, right. basically. So let's actually even go back a little bit further. Where does Joni fit in for you in your music world. I know you have diverse interests and everything, but where's right. Joni in that? I was trying to think, yeah, where where did this all start? Mm-hmm. I, I've got a sister who's three years older than me, and she kind of was my musical, you know, purveyor for my entire childhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, she liked the Beatles, and then I got into the Beatles. She was into ska music, I got into ska. And so I was just kind of following her, and then she went away to college, and I was without... Uh, a musical source but she came back and someone had turned around a blue and of course I heard it and I think at the same time um, I had a teacher who was having us do these uh, lyrical um, like song lyric uh, what, um, like dissections yeah yeah dissections of song lyrics and she had us do Cat Stevens um, Oh Very Young and oh. then Circle Game wow and so I, I think I had you know, worked really hard on the very young one. And then I listened to Circle Game and I remember I kind of tore it up. Like I, I was really mean to it and I said, this was a bad song and this is really an obvious metaphor. And I was being a little asshole because <laughs> that's what I was like in my teenage years. <laughs> but my teacher, you know, thankfully was like, you know, you may, you may be going a little hard on this song. And so she gave me the hits record, which is, interesting. which is an amazing kind of compilation of, yeah. of, I mean, like Woodstock's on there, mm-hmm. her version, as well as her, her version of Both Sides Now and stuff. Mm-hmm. But then at the end, there are two tracks, which like I really gravitated towards, which are Chinese Cafe and Coming From The Cold, yep. which, you know, I was growing up in Wisconsin, so that spoke <laughs> very, yeah. Very closely to me. But um, I, f- I feel like I knew those songs and I loved them and I delved in the way that most people do. I, I listened to Blue and got into Court and Spark and For the Roses and uh, Ladies of the Canyon. And um, it wasn't until much later that I was like, I said, oh yeah, there were those other songs. Where are they from? You know, what, what's the context? Right. And so I, I got Wild Things Run Fast and I don't remember what coming from the cold. That's. Chuck Mark in a rainstorm. No, that one's from uh, Night Ride Home. Night Ride Home. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and and Wild Things Run Fast was just like not what I was expecting right. because I had kind of seen where she came from, and um, yeah, and so it was. But but at the same time, while I was into this Joni Mitchell stuff, I was a, I was a pop guy. Mm-hmm. I really liked um, 
like that that kind of high production stuff. And that was part of what I liked about Joni too, her her overdubbing and her mm-hmm. ability to add instruments, you know, probably in post, um, which was so cool. Um, so yeah. Uh, so it really spoke to me that it was more electric and it was more poppy and, yeah. and um, rock drums. I mean, looking back on it now, I can tell she's kind of going for a more uh, in the vein kind of sound, um, trying to maybe, you know, who, who knows what was going on in her life. But uh, for some reason, she was like, I want to make this more pop record mm-hmm. um, that, you know, maybe get some radio play. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, I love that song. And um, I love Wild Things Run Fast. That's another great song. And um, yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> this um, this record she talked about in, at a few different points. And actually, I, I was going to say strangely, but it's not really strangely because it kind of really actually makes a lot of sense when you hear this record. You know what really inspired this record was the band The Police. Oh, yeah? She she found herself going to clubs a lot oh, back okay. in those days. That and hearing yeah. hearing The Police, Talking Heads, and, and a little bit of Steely Dan. I actually hear a little bit of Elvis Costello in there, too. Although I'm not entirely sure that Elvis Costello... The, the stuff that it kind of reminds me of of Elvis Costello, I don't think had happened yet. So I don't know that she yeah. was influenced by him necessarily. I think the other way around, maybe. Because his stuff yeah. that's kind of like this was afterwards. Um, and actually, she she apparently reached out to the police about like making a record together, or at least some of the record together. This was originally supposed to be a collaboration with really? them. Oh, that and would they, be totally different. Yeah. yeah. And they either declined it or like could, couldn't be worked out in scheduling or something. Mm-hmm. Which is odd, because this record took place, the sessions took place over a couple of years. It wasn't one of those records where like, you know, she, she booked a week and it like knocked it out. It was kind of a slow process but um yeah so let's let's dive in with these particular songs i don't know some of them you may have specific thoughts about some of them maybe you don't um so chinese cafe and unchained melody starts off this record so that's one that's on hits and who would have guessed that i would have been drawn to this song because it's about growing older right carol you know we're we're middle class we're middle age and for whatever reason it was this voice and the other thing about hits is you can hear like the changing of her voice yep. over her career. Uh, and I think this record really starts her coming into that mezzo and more alto range. Yep. Um, and just start with this song about growing up and seeing our kids, you know, where we were. Um, it resonated with me. I think it, and I think the fact that I knew that my mom also loved Joni kind of made it more special because sure. I could see it through her eyes in a certain way. Yeah. You know, and, um, but the fact that she incorporates Unchained Melody and you don't even really realize it mm-hmm. because it's in a different key and it's just kind of like she's you start she's it starts out the song dun, 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 which you don't really pay attention to <laughs> and then each verse she adds a little more right. until they're finally going through Oh my love, my darling, and yeah, it's, that's, that's my, brilliant. Too. That is I mean, brilliant. Yeah. That's my favorite part of it is that, like, like you say, every verse there's like yeah. an act, there's another line of it. It's like it's just this slow build into it. Mm. I actually had the same experience. I think I had hits before I had this record, and really mm. loved this song. Yeah, loved this song. I don't know why. You know, I mean, it's not a song that people it, our age yeah. would connect with, but it's I did too. It's got a warm sound to it. There's yeah. something about it. Uh, just the Chinese cafe part is just so welcoming and enveloping. Um, I remember having it on my disc man, walking to school, 
and just like having her voice and both both speakers on left and right channel just you know yeah folding you in it was beautiful did you put it together i mean it's hard to remember of course you know all these years later i'm sure did you put together unchained melody as the you know the righteous brothers song not for a while i didn't yeah yeah yeah. and you kind of the way that she slips into it is just so sly right yeah and the righteous brothers version is just so different i mean there's something about that song that's kind of magical Right. I don't know. No, yeah, it's like on third or fourth hearing, I think I said, oh, this is, oh, my love, my darling. Yeah. Um, because the whole rest of the song is in, what, a whole step up is in D, and um, and then she just uses it as kind of like this bridge section mm-hmm. to go back into the second verse where right. birth of rock and roll days, and <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of amazing, um, and then Wild Things Run Fast, the title track. So you're you're a big fan of this song. Um, I was, and then I I was playing it, listening <laughs> for for this podcast, and my wife was like, "What is this garbage?" <laughs> and she did not care for it specifically. Re- this song. Yeah, yeah, and I realized it may be kind of an acquired taste. Like, there's a lot of like overdriven guitars and yeah. just kind of in-your-face drumming. I guess it's Vinnie Caliuta, which is Zappa's drummer. Right, yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, and Larry Klein on the bass, yep. who is her, you know... Uh, they became. Future husband, right? Yeah. 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 And um, so I, I like the melody of it, and I find myself... I do, too. Wild things run... You know. It's catchy. A lot of these songs, you know, you don't think about how good the melodies are, but then later you find yourself whistling them or, right. or singing them to yourself. And this song, yeah, it, I can totally understand why people would be turned off by it because <laughs> it is all out there and very kind of, you know, produced on the edge. But for me, it, it's it's perfect. I, I, I don't like it. It's, I mean, it's very much in an 80s. It sounds like an early 80s song yeah. too. So that might yeah. be part of it. You know, it it's not obnoxiously so. It's not like over synth. Or anything, but it just kind of it has. It sounds like the early eighties. Yeah, so. I saw some people online were saying it's like the new wave sound, but I don't know if it's even quite that. It's it's a little more, you know, mixed in with that kind of late seventies, right. you know, uh, guitar pedal sound. But what, what, one of my favorite things is to watch an artist grow and take in whatever influences of the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love you know George Harrison's last album, uh, Brainwashed. Mm-hmm just to see how he kind of came back around and um, and, and it always helps me to you know as I'm growing older to listen to these albums from people um, David Bowie's mm-hmm. most recent two albums mm-hmm. you know Black Star got a lot of love but The Next Day is one of my all time favorites um, and I think it's like this mature you know point of view taking in all this stuff that I've heard that I grew up with and that you know um you know, it, it's interesting to see how Joni can take this these sounds that obviously she was hearing, and um, and kind of put them through her own prism and her mm-hmm. own lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you? Okay, so I want to go back. So for these a two songs, I think, are the most kind of composed. Yeah. On the album, in my opinion, they're like everything is in its right place, and in you know, there's an ending, and like everything else on the album that except for maybe you're so square, um, is a little more loose feeling, and I'm yeah. I'm curious that you that. said that it that it took a couple of years to 
to record. Yeah, I don't know a whole lot about that process. Yeah. Or, you know, her most recent studio record had been Mingus, which was, you know, three yeah. years before that in 79. And they did... Which she is did, another challenging album. I mean, right. Which is, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a very challenging record for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and so they did quite a bit of touring for that, but then they put out a live record in 80. And so I would assume 81, you know, she was starting to write these songs and starting to record it. And it finally came out in 82, late in 82. Um, okay. So she probably had most of 81 and 82 to do it. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure what the recording process was, but I I did read something that she was having a hard time finding. She She was looking for like rock and roll players who wouldn't play it too squarely. That was her main thing, was that she found... I think she probably tried out a lot of people and just found that it wasn't the perfect chemistry yeah. until she met Larry Klein. And, and, and I think Wayne Shorter on sax was a big influence, sure. too, because this is... I mean, he played basically from this then throughout the rest of her career, but I think this was the, I think this was the first one that he was on okay. of hers. So well, also it's uh, the Steve Lukather from, mm-hmm. from Toto, who's doing most of the guitar, which he, he was just a overall session player who played right. on everything so yeah she she this is also a new record label for her right Right. this is geffen records so um she's obviously trying something new and Mm -hmm. maybe she'd gotten some feedback after after mingus you know who knows yeah Yeah, we've Um, been talking about that a lot the last several episodes have been kind of focused on the like late 80s period and i keep wondering how much that kind of burned her and how much this is i mean it really is kind of a left turn in her career, this record. Yeah. Because yeah. this is, there's still definitely jazz in this mm-hmm. record. You know, mm-hmm. Moon at the Window, um, Underneath the Streetlight. There, there are, Be Cool is real jazz, yeah. you know. Yeah. I mean, like, there's, she didn't abandon jazz, but she was kind of firmly in jazz and kind of had almost this stubbornness about her. Right, you, right. You know, where she was not going to go back. And, and so... She, I don't, you know, that's totally understandable. I think an artist has to kind of follow yeah, no, the I, vein that they're inspired by. Absolutely. And uh, so then it, this is kind of a mixture of that meets a few new things that are maybe right. exciting for her. And the thing uh, in the last episode, Jonathan, Brooke and I were talking about is like, what are the chances that she was really excited by the like new technology and the new sounds that were coming out in the early 80s or was there some reluctance and she just kind of like she was on a new label and had to like try something new because that was what she was supposed to do but Geffen was always kind of notorious at that point for like he was very friendly with all of his all the people on his label he was good friends with all those people so I don't think that it was a situation in which she was I wouldn't suspect she would be pressured too much Right. But what do I know? Um, I was going to ask you, going back to Chinese Cafe for a second, does Chinese Cafe strike you as an interesting opening track for a record? Totally. I would have, I mean, if if it was my song, I would have put that like middle B side. Me too. <laughs> Just because it's so, and it's long. It's yep. like five and a half minutes. Um, and it's, but yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. I would never put it as the opening, I guess. I wouldn't have either. Wild Things Run Fast, the titular track, Yes, seems like uh, it should it, go there. Yeah. And it's so driving, too. That's the thing is so many of the other songs around it, they're not all fast and upbeat, but there are several in this, especially in this kind of first chunk here, between like songs two and seven, there's a lot of like really upbeat yeah. stuff. And uh, so to like kind of kick it off with this kind of slower, thoughtful piece is kind that's of interesting. 
I don't know. And, and me coming to it as the second to last track on hits, right? You know that that kind of makes sense. So maybe, yeah. It has nothing against a song. No. I think it's a great song. Yeah. I, it's one of my favorites on the record, actually. But it um, there's just something about it as an opener that, like you say, I think Wild Things Run Fast. If I had been sequencing this. I think I would have started with Wild Things Run Fast. But I think it's like the obvious choice. And... Right. <laughs> uh, and Joni will never do the obvious That's choice. That's true. That's the thing. We should you stop. Know. I don't know why I'm doing this yeah. podcast. We'll never this figure Joni out. This isn't Britney Spears. <laughs> this is Joni Mitchell. And yes. uh, you've got to assume that she's got a, a, a joker up her sleeve. Right. The other thing to consider, too, is, you know, this is back in a time in which people listened to records and thought of them as records. And certainly Joni yeah. Mitchell fans yeah. weren't listening to one song. They were listening to it as right. a series of, right. of songs. So it probably, not that sequencing wasn't important, but I think she could afford to tell the story her own way, how she wanted to do it, and probably didn't matter much beyond that. Yeah. Um, moving on to Ladies' Man, which is which an is interesting not one. my favorite. Ladies' Man is... Um... Yeah, uh, in fact, a lot of these later tracks are, are they, they lose me. Do they? Yeah. Um, you know Lionel Richie is on this song? I did not know that. He's on two. Uh, what else does he sing? You Dream Flat Tires. Oh, okay. Which, which he, which is that, a yeah. th- that's a great one, but he also has like a couple lines in that one where it's okay. just him. This one, you can, he's just kind of in oh, the Oh, so background. he's the male voice. He's the male voice. Baby. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. I never knew that. Lionel Richie. So we know we're in the <laughs> Hello. Is it me you're looking for? Yeah. I actually didn't. Uh, I had completely forgotten that, that mm. it was Lionel Richie until kind of going back to this one, I had wow. completely forgotten. Yeah, he and, and James Taylor has a little cameo on Man to Man later on, but um, yeah. But James Lionel Taylor's Ritchie. on a lot of her records, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of short and sweet. Um, is that the one where she says, there? I think this is the one where there's the great line, um, why can't you love me like you love cocaine? Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> I love that line. That again, too, is like, okay, we are... In, you know, we're in the 80s for sure. Um, all right. I do love Moonlight. Moon at the Moon Window. Moon at the Window. Sorry, Moon at the Window, which is the great, you know, nobody's harder on me than me. Mm-hmm. Um, which is such a brutal thing to say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, that that's a better song in, in my opinion. I, I agree. Gets more of that jazz sensibility in there. It's got that kind of like jazz club kind of vibe yeah. to it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It, it's kind of uh, it's a it's a nice upbeat, but still kind of chill song. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah, there's a great uh, YouTube of her, and they're actually playing it live too. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Which you know, I think it's meant to be a, the music video promotional video for the song. And or am I thinking of a different one? No, I'm thinking of You Dream Flat Tires for that. Oh. Yeah. yeah, I think she did do a music video for this one. This one, I think she put in her set lists for a while, though. Actually, quite a few of these songs kind of Showed stayed. Yeah, kind of stayed with her even through the like '90s tour. She didn't do all that much touring. She did a big tour after this record. Like okay. 1983 was kind of her last huge tour. '83, she did like a world tour yeah. for this record, um, and that's really the last time she did like a massive, massive tour like this one. But she still did some touring. And actually, some of these songs remained with her. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. if she was still touring, she'd still be playing a few of these. Yeah, yeah, well, makes sense. I, I kind of wonder, you know, I say again, her was her voice changing? Was that less reliable in concert? You know, mm-hmm. was that something that, that was being forcing her, you know, to to stop going live? I don't know. It could be. Because you can certainly hear it, you know. Yeah. She's... Um, 
I um I ha- I think I revealed in one of the other episodes what I kind of have always viewed as a one of my dark secrets because I find it really embarrassing in retrospect. But um, back in the days, I, even before college, when I was mm-hmm. in high school, the internet was kind of just in its peak, and there were a lot of people who were trading like live bootleg recordings, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so I. I, I kind of got into it for a little while. I got all these Joni bootleg recordings from people. And um, there was this one guy in particular. So there was this thing. Do you, have you ever had any bootlegs? Have you ever yeah. had any bootlegs? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, where, so do you know what like blanks and postages? Do you remember that sure. whole thing? Where somebody, if you didn't have anything to trade them, you just sent them the, the blank CD and the postage so they wouldn't have to pay out of pocket. Yeah. So there was this guy who had like every show Joni had ever done. I mean, he had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds wow. of, of her shows. I don't know where he got them. I don't know how he managed to do this, but he had built like it, just this amazing thing. And uh, so he said he was willing to do blanks and postage. And I said, well, you know, like how many can I do? Which is such a like bold yeah. and like really like I would never in a million years think to be that person at this point. That's yeah. just so obnoxious and bold. How many can I do? How many, how many are you willing to do for me basically? And he was like, I'll do them all for you if you send them. So I did. I sent oh him gosh. like a couple hundred CDs and he did them all and he sent them back to me. So I have like just, I have like that whole 83 wow. tour. I actually don't even know if I have the CDs anymore, which is yeah. maybe the worst part of the story. Up, yeah. But, um, I, I listened to, to all of them, I'm sure over the years. And a lot of those 83 shows were really interesting too, because she would like stop shows when her audiences weren't paying attention to her. She would really? walk off and say things like, we're going to take an intermission. When I come back, we're, you're either going <laughs> to listen to what I've got to say, or we're going to stop the show. Oh man. So I think there was a part of her that kind of wasn't enjoying what was happening. Or maybe it was just the audiences were too riled up on whatever in 1983 so she's like kind of pushing 40 at that point i mean i feel like she's in her late 30s or early Mm -hmm. 40s and you get to that point in life where it's like i'm not gonna put up with this bullshit anymore (laughs) yeah yeah no you're fine i think i think at a certain point she kind of knew i mean blue was also 10 years in retrospect so i mean she was already she'd already really been an icon for a while you know Mm -hmm. i mean like she really was at that point right well well established as like one of the greats and i think she just didn't have much patience for it you know um and when you think of her her mind which is always going 100 miles an hour and, mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh salud love one of my uh, this is another one of my favorites on the record actually it's just so fun so upbeat i love this one yeah i get this one mixed up with the last one love because oh really because of the titles um but uh so this is we gotta break yeah. Okay. Yeah. Tested it and blessed. We got a break. Yeah. It's um. Yeah. It's just so catchy. There's great melody going yep. on in this song, and great yeah. harmony too, actually. Yeah. She's yeah. Hot dog. Hot dog. <laughs> Hot dog. Dog. Which is like, would you ever expect her to hear that on a Joni Mitchell record? No. You know, if no. She in you know. Ladies of the Canyon have been like hot dog. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that no. would have seemed a little out of place. But at the same time, like there were things that she was doing at the time. Okay, Ladies of the Canyon. I don't know that she did. There was a few years there where she was really like the you know. There's nothing really even remotely out of place on like those first five records. But even like by the time you get to Court and Spark, there's twisted at the end. You know sure. what I mean? So sure. like sure. she would occasionally throw in these these turns. I think to kind of show that she did have a fun side. This whole record's kind of like showing she had a fun side. Yeah, and you know, which makes me, which leads me to believe that it's in response to 
the response of Mangus. You know, right. I mean, I feel like if she turned people off, she felt like she needed to snare them back in. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I also greatly suspect. I mean, obviously, it's well known. So she and Larry Klein got together around this period. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that relationship developed during these sessions. I would assume so. I don't know for sure. Um, he became, you know her boyfriend for sure shortly after this. Um, so I'm not sure what the thing, you know, what the timeline is in terms of when she was writing these songs and whatever, but it also strikes me as a, I keep saying this, but it's a record where like she fell in love and this is like a fun record because she was like, at a re- it seems like a really good place in her life. Yeah. I mean, the words, sense. the word love is on this record 57 times. Is that right? She says love 57 wow. times in this record. Wow. So yeah, I guess I didn't think about that. That's so the she's, theme. She's in love. Yeah, yeah. And there's a song called "Solid Love," and there's another song called "Just Love." Love, so. which is whenever an artist does that, you think like this must be a statement, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, Since all the songs are kind of about love anyway. Yeah, and, and I'm a firm believer that everything's about love at yeah. the end of the day. So, yeah. <laughs> Hollywood heartache We got this solid love All around this town Good hearts are going under Love bandits caught and plundered And nobody put us under This solid love We got a chance Hot dog darling We got a chance No more, no more Fly by that romance We got the solid love Love has always made me feel so uneasy I couldn't relax and just be me It's more like some strange disease in this solid love Tested in bliss, darling I'm gonna give you my very best You're my hope, you're my happiness You open my heart, you do Open my heart, you do All around this town, good hearts are going under The band is gone and plundered Then nobody put us under this solid love We got a chance, hot dog darling We got a chance, no more, no more Fly by that romance We got this solid love Now love has always made me feel so uneasy 
couldn't relax and just be me It's more like some strange disease than this solid night Test it and please, darling I'm gonna give it my very best You're my hope, you're my happiness You open my heart, you do You open my heart, you do Open my heart, you do Yes, you do so be cool is next be cool and i think that's another theme in this record is like the cool you know the next track too, the elvis cover you're so square right um so i think she's she's dealing with what is cool you know she's Mm -hmm. kind of trying to make her way back to although i would have never said she was really cool in her heyday you know i mean Certainly, she was more popular, but I don't think she was, you know, sacrificing any of her songwriting to sure. to be kind of mainstream or anything. Oh yeah, no, I think she went out of her way to not do that. Actually, um, I don't know the the like thesis statement of "be cool" is basically like everybody is working so hard to be cool, yeah. and and kind of again, kind of out of this time period of like, we're all trying to prove something. Mm-hmm. Maybe we could ease up on each other a little bit, you know? And <laughs> I love that idea. I mean, that's kind of a timeless thing. I, you know, I was two months old when this record came out, three yeah. months old. So I don't know what it was like in 1982. Right. But I suspect that there was some pressure, at least in her life of, you know, mm-hmm. Although she's in a different place than an like her average audience member would be too, so that's true. Yeah, I mean, this was the birth of the the Reagan era and mm-hmm. commercialization, mm-hmm. and everybody was going to the mall, and you know you could buy cool right. <laughs> in the store. Um, but she kind of we know now that she was cool and always <laughs> you know had it in her just because of her beautiful look on life and her soul. But yeah, yeah. Is that the end of the first side of the record? Must I would be. assume so. Yeah. Actually, I think. Or was that, that the, that is was the solid love? The, solid love. Answer. Okay, so and this then, starts. So this starts side two. Interesting. That's another change I would have made. I would have put this at the end of side one and start side two with "You're So Square," which in, which is a weird choice. "You're So Square." I mean, why? Yeah. In 1982, Elvis had died like five years earlier. Mm-hmm. Why do an Elvis song? <laughs> Yeah, it is kind of an interesting choice. Yeah. What um and maybe some would say a square choice, <laughs> you know, for the time, but Yeah. Although this song, I don't know, this song this this whole I, record got This this song actually is the definitive version of this song for me. Yeah. Um but um yeah, for people at that time to hear her singing, you know, you don't like crazy movies and, you know, it's <laughs> it's I don't know, it's an interesting choice, right. you know. I think this was intended to be the single. You think? Yeah, I, I yeah. do think so. I think this was going to be the, like, they were hoping was going to be the big song from that record. And um, I don't think I do it find myself in You're but... so square every once in a while. It just kind of comes in, <laughs> baby, I don't care. You know, it's, <laughs> it's so kind of cheeky and yeah. um, cute, you know, which you don't think of. Yeah. Again, as a, so I think there's a conscious effort for her to kind of, rebrand herself and, and, and say there's more to me than you know yep um, which you know is throughout her career but how, I was thinking how many 
just plain up covers did she record? I was just about to say the same thing. So she did this. She did Twisted on Court and Spark. Sure. She did She did later on do a record of Standard. She did a record called Both Sides Now. Yeah. Um, I'm, off the top of my head, those might have been the only, like you know, like you say, straight covers. Obviously, Twisted, Unchained Melody is yeah. squeezed in there. She did another one as the Standard Centerpiece. She's squeezed sure. into another one of her songs. But both of those are Limber Hendrix and Ross kind of numbers right and then this is Lieber Stoller mm-hmm. the famous songwriting duo I wonder if maybe since she was on Geffen she had access to new copyrights or something maybe yeah or maybe the idea again I mean like the theme of this record seems to be in some cases like let's just have some fun and yeah. put it down so maybe there was this this might be one of those things that just kind of started as a like it jam jamming out or like having fun in the studio and they liked what they were coming up with and just decided let's record yeah. it. You know, I mean that happens. Because it's a totally different take on it. It's oh, yeah. got the overtracked backups, which again, like that's my favorite thing that Joni ever does. Mm-hmm. Is that those close harmony, um her voice is just so agile and she can sing all the parts. So you're so square. <laughs> It, and it's a hook. It's something that draws yeah. you in right away, mm-hmm. which I don't think that that melodic fragment is in the the original at all. It's just it's just more like kind of Hawaiian you know, Elvis See, rock. I've never been an Elvis guy. Yeah. So I don't know that I've ever actually listened to his version of this. Yeah. Well, it's a good I one. should. You know, it... I mean, it's no. It's as far as Elvis goes, it's kind of middle of the road, but um, it's pretty of the time. I mean, sure. Yeah. But but hearing what she did and how she re reformed it kind of is interesting. Yeah. Um, what about you, Dream Flat Tires? This is another one that's kind of that's a beautiful one. I, yeah. I mean, very jazzy, very yes. kind of you know loose. Again, in in its composition and in its recording, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe it's not as loose. Maybe it's all intended, and and I don't know. Uh, but the end of this album is where I usually kind of drift off. Do you? Some some short, quick tunes. I don't know. The, these, I mean, it's it's a pop record, so most of these songs are in that like two to three minute range in yeah. general, except for you know Unchained Melody and uh, and China it's a short Cafe. record. I think it's yeah. It's I, I was trying to figure out if it it's almost as short as except for Blue. Like Blue is mm. a second or or thirty seconds shorter than. This. Is it really? So, yeah, it's only thirty. This one is says thirty six, and that one's like thirty five minutes. So. Wow. Um, so I guess it doesn't matter length. <laughs> back back when people, you know, when that was a thing, and it's funny too because like right. Kajira has nine songs on it, which like mm-hmm. I remember when I bought that record before I knew how kind of iconic that was among Joni fans, thinking like there's only nine songs on this record, yeah, but then was, most of those are like between five and eight long. minutes, are very yeah. long. So that record is right. somewhere in the middle. It's not even close to her earliest, even though there are a couple few, you know fewer songs on it but mm-hmm. um lionel richie i think we mentioned that he he has the that's vocal so cool on you dream flat and he's he kind of plays the character of whatever this man she's speaking to mm-hmm. um that's funny it's always interesting the folks that guest with her you know like mm-hmm. it, it, later on in turbulent indigo seal sings yeah. with yeah. her <laughs> Or uh, like Shaka Khan, we were just talking about Don Juan's Reckless Daughter, you know, mm-hmm. not long ago, and Shaka Khan's on that record. And like the folks that she gets are, you know, really just interesting choices and like good, good artists. It's just like in a way that like you, you kind of go, uh, 
you can barely make out the fact that it's Lionel Richie. Cer- certainly with Shaka Khan, you can barely tell it's Shaka Khan. Seal, he kind of does have his moment in there, but it's like, are all these people just that? You know, these are big stars. Yeah. They? This was like Lionel Richie yeah. at his heyday. You gotta imagine that, that they're drawn to her. Right, I mean, exactly. And they're coming to her concerts, and but, but something in their catalog or their past mm-hmm. makes Joni say, here, come sing this. Right. Um, and of course, Lionel Richie was a huge star at that point. Yeah. Commodores and... Um, yeah, but so this one has the line which I still try to. Woman, she bounced back easy, but a man could break both his legs. <laughs> yeah, where what? Yeah, what does that mean? Yeah, and I guess she's asking us, because um, it's said in that in that male voice, mm-hmm. which she must have written. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We'll have to ask question for, one for of the these ages. Days. Yes. Yeah. Next time. <laughs> Would you ask her for me? I'll try. I'll try. Um, man to man. This man is, to man. Yeah. How do you feel about this one? I, I, I'm not sure how I feel about this one. Um, and then moving on to Underneath the Streetlight. Underneath the Streetlight, which is a cool change. I, I really like the harmonies in that song. I, I do too. Um, and yeah, it, that one, it, it feels like it could have been a Hajira mm-hmm. song to me. Like it, it's got that kind of on the road vibe to it. Um, but Underneath the Streetlight. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. And then we wrap it up with maybe the most interesting one on the record in some ways, which is Love, which is her taking and adapting, you know, a song from 1 Corinthians. Yeah. Yeah. The well, Bible. well, you usually think at the end of the album, it's kind of like whatever's left, you know? <laughs> it's like, but this one seems to be like a, a new motion forwards in a sort of way um yeah and and for some reason she decides to set set corinthians which you know is, is read at every single wedding right you know? <laughs> and when I, I was a child i spake like a child and, right yeah so there was a part of me that was wondering is there any chance that this was the idea of so you know like was there the hope that this would become like a huge wedding song? Yeah, you got to think calling it love makes sense, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah, especially because the famous thing, but that also doesn't seem like her bag of tricks. No, <laughs> which is why it's surprising. Yeah, it's yeah. not something that I would ever expect her to do, and I kind of just don't suspect that that would be something she would. I feel like somebody would. She right. would she would talk herself right. out of that ultimately, but there's that idea in there of although you know what she does adapt the 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 book of Job later on in the Turbulent Indigo oh, record okay. the last song on there is like basically her version of the book the entire book of Job. Oh, I guess I didn't realize that that one I really like yeah. actually I really like it a lot. Okay, um, this one not as much. I don't dislike it again. I don't dislike anything on this record. I think it's just a fun record. Mm-hmm. I, it's not. It's not one that I think of as like having her most heady thoughts. Although those are sprinkled in this record. If you just read the lyrics or like spend some time with it, there is some. She has a yeah, great lyrically. It's it's really deep. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really like the ideas behind so much of of what she's writing in here. It's just it's yeah. it's so dancey, and you know you yeah. don't necessarily think of it as great lyrics because the music is so fun. I mean, is it just me, or is there is kind of a disconnect between the production and the the message? Sure. I feel like I, I sometimes will find myself really 
jamming out to the intro or the the outro or ending or something and then you know the 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 she will come in and it will be a Joni Mitchell song and it's like right. it's like she's with a new band sort of sure. and uh, you know excited at all the tricks they can do and the the really cool guitar stuff but um I, I wish there was a little more connective tissue, I guess. Sure. Uh, like Chinese Cafe, which is really well melded and kind of you know stewed together. The rest of it feels a little little disconnected, I guess. Is which which is kind of I understand why people would have a hard time embracing this stuff and and the the material that followed in the eighties, mm-hmm. because it's in my opinion it's less um, gelled. Interesting. Yeah. This record got really good reviews when it came out, like almost universally really good reviews. Um, And it's kind of almost to be expected because people were just so happy she wasn't so deep into like (laughs) Mingus jazz anymore. She was doing something like that showed that whether or not there was a conscious decision to make music that was like accessible there was something fun about the record that mm-hmm. kind of everybody could identify with. So reviewers like almost universally really, really liked this record. Well, I think it's like you said, it's a lot of fun on first listening. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's the, that's the hard thing about being a reviewer is you maybe get one or two listenings before you get a turn in your draft. Right. Um, yeah. And I think getting into it is a little, little more difficult. It's mm-hmm. not that it's not deep, but I think that you really have to delve into that through that production and through the through the kind of grandeur of it mm-hmm. all. So it's worth noting Joni produced this record too. This was is that right? maybe the first one that she produced. I don't know if that's true. I should I should check that because she might have she might have produced one of those mid seventies ones. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, she produced this one. I was thinking, and I know Jonathan asked in the last episode whether Larry Klein had produced this, and he produced the ones the after, like of, yeah. four or five after yeah. that, but. Um, no, she she self-produced this one, which is interesting. And it makes sense to them when we were talking about, like, she kind of went through some changes with bands and, like, you know, was trying to find the right people. She could make those choices because she was the producer. So she oh, okay. was... She so this to... really is her vision realized. Yes. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. Cool. Um, so I warned you... Yeah. Right before we help. started... Top, I didn't give you five. yeah I didn't give yeah. you much notice about it but I I asked you so which which is, is a, one being the best and five being, yeah. however you want to do it and in fact it doesn't even have to be in order you can just do yeah. like five and whatever although in order I think is easier for us to like sure yeah get a sense of you as a listener but so would you rather go with albums or songs I think I'll go with albums just okay. because I do think of things in very album ways which you know it, it sounds like. That's all fake because I got into her her greatest hits album. <laughs> but no, uh, no, no, no. Because but I think hits almost has its own kind of album feel I do to too. it. It's got to start and end. Do you know about but, Mrs. Uh, Not to interrupt, but do you know about Mrs. I haven't heard Mrs. I, I, do you know, I, about, I know it? about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a really interesting record. I should get that one. It it because it focuses so much on the eighties and nineties stuff. Okay, a lot. Whereas you know, like the hits one, as you were saying earlier. You with the voice change, mm-hmm. but that doesn't. There are fifteen yeah. songs on hits, and that voice change doesn't happen until song thirteen because everything before it was between nineteen sixty nine and nineteen seventy six or whatever. Sure. Sure. And uh, this is one from nineteen eighty two, and then there's one from nineteen ninety one, and then the last mm-hmm. song is both sides now, so they go back yes. to the beginning. Yeah. yeah. 
So, you know, I mean, there are like two songs from this later period, Joni. And my suspicion, I don't know really much about it, but my suspicion with Mrs. is that was like her bargain. It was like, you can put out a greatest hits if you want, but I get to do this other record where I get to like you, tell people these are the think. songs you should listen to. Too. Yeah, yeah. These are the ones that either people didn't give enough time to or didn't hit the people at the right, you know, right point in history. Right. And she's put out a lot of compilations since. She kind yes. of has repackaged and been a pretty active participant in the repackaging of some of these songs. And a lot of them focus on the 80s and 90s, especially, uh, actually not quite as much this record. Um, I think she's very fond of the songs uh, like Dog Eat Dog and Chalk Mark mm -hmm. and A Rainstorm that are sometimes overlooked. Um, but like all these, you know, chronological, like Beginning of Survival is one of them. Um, the Love Has Many Faces one. There are, yeah. you know, there are several of these. Um, Songs of a Prairie Girl. Is that what that one was called? Yeah, Songs yeah. of a Prairie Girl. Dreamland. Like, there are a bunch of these. And I, a lot of these 80s songs end up on all those. So, anyway. All right. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, that's fine. Because I'm, I'm thinking. Um, I mean, Blue is such a beautiful album. But I actually got to a point where I can't listen to it. It's really? just so heartbreaking. You know, every Christmas somebody br plays River, and yeah. it's just like, <laughs> yeah. Because the more you read about it, and the more you learn what she was going through, uh, it's just so heartbreaking. But obviously, I will always have a special place in my heart. So maybe that's number five. Um, Ladies of the Canyon, I'd put as number four. That's okay. such a beautiful one. Mm -hmm. um, and that starts with Morning Morgantown. Yeah. And uh, For Free is another really. Um, as a musician, as kind of like a oh yeah, you know, deep down in my heart, I'm that guy playing the clarinet. Yep. Um, if you, I don't mean to drift again, but the if you want to hear something really interesting, that 1983 world tour we were just talking about, for free is one of the early songs that she brings out and okay. plays, and she adds another like tidbit after each chord. Hey. She wrote like two extra lines that she started doing on the 83 tour. It's really that. cool. So yeah, check it. I'm sure it's on YouTube. Remind some myself. Version. I'll yes. listen to this podcast and remind myself. Yes. <laughs> so anyway. No, yeah. Uh, and uh, Conversation is one of my favorite yes. tracks of all time. I, I, I love that one too. It's so beautiful. Yeah. And, um, uh, and okay, For the Roses, I guess is my third one. Okay. I love um, that one too. Just because... That's so cool, and I like some of the production that she brings into it. Mm -hmm. um, and then both sides now, probably her her orchestral standards sure. where she puts Case of You and both sides now alongside you know the, the great stanches of all time. Mm -hmm. And then I guess Hajira. I have this memory, and and I'm not sure. It must be true because here's what happened. I I. I I was at a, a, a rummage sale, okay. and I saw that album, and I had never heard of it, and I I was like 14 or 15. This was shortly after I had gotten into Blue and kind of her thing, and I found that album, and it looked so cool with the photography on the front, yeah. and I had just gotten a record player, and so I got home, and I like plugged it in and plugged my big old you know retro headphones yep. in and sat in my bed and listened to the entirety of that record and just was like transported, and I just... Totally fell in love with it, and I kind of like drifting in and out of daydreams and, and listening. And um, and the, the reason that I think it might not, it may have been a dream, is because I don't own that record now. Oh, really? <laughs> like I was so looking for it, and it I was like, I knew I had it, so maybe I lost it at some point, or maybe it was some romanticized, <laughs> you know, dream that I had about it. But um, 
no, I still will listen to it and mm-hmm. uh, Coyote and Amelia and uh, Black Crow. Mm-hmm. I mean, those songs are so deep and the the more I listen to them, you know, it's like um, uh, Clouds and her, her early stuff, Song to a Seagull. You kind of listen to those once or twice and I think you kind of, you kind of get them, but the the further you go in her career, the more you listen, the the deeper and, and richer each song becomes. Mm-hmm. Um, and these little lines that you don't even realize the first ten times, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, just I don't know, come back and and, yeah. and and make sense once you've experienced something like that in your life. And and I was obviously much younger than Joni and so I'm going through things that maybe she was going through when she wrote those songs now that I'm getting older and sure. uh, living life and, and dealing with love and heartbreak but like, yeah. much less heartbreak now that I'm married <laughs> yes <laughs> don't tell my wife that. we'll cut that out yeah right, right. Um, no that's well said I feel like the um, yeah the Hijira record is is that it's it's just like there's so much the the lyrics are so dense that you could spend a lot of time studying those lyrics. Mm-hmm. That should like lyricists should yes. have that yeah. record just on constant repeat. But also bass players should yes. have that record oh, yeah. because Jacko is the is the most skilled, you know, um, complementer of a song. Yep. He he just and he's like soloing while he's also hitting the root. And, yep. Yeah. So kind of amazing. Well, that's a great top five list. Honestly, out of the folks that I've had on. I think my top five list is probably closest to yours. Oh, compared really? To, compared to well, all the good. other people that I've had on so far, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it, it's uh, the I, I for the roses and ladies of the canyon are ones that are seldom. In fact, I'm not sure if either of those have really been on other people's lists. Maybe maybe once or twice, but not very often. And those are records that mean a lot to me too. So I think I'd say um, Court, Court and Spark is honorable mention. Yeah, but just because because Help Me is a great song, and. But it's a little, yeah, like you said, it's a little with twisted at the end. I don't know, it's a little more silly and yeah. But um, I love yeah. twisted. I have to say, yeah, it's such. Do you know, a... do you know the Annie Ross version, the original? No, I don't think so. Because Wardell Gray, do you know the story behind it? I mean, no, I don't. Wardell Gray plays the saxophone line, and it was a big hit, and it was called Twisted. And then Lambert Hendricks and Ross comes around, who's this famous vocal group who would write words to famous instrumental solos. Interesting. And so John Hendricks, who's called the James Joyce of Jive, um, he wrote all those words to this existing really? improvised melody that Wardell Gray had had this hit with and, and has Annie Ross sing it, who's this you know great jazz singer. And so then Joni kind of adds another element on top of it. And I think that voice in it, this chick is twisted, man. Right. It's supposed to be like the John Hendricks character because he was a really kind of like... Uh, silly, you know, comedian, jazz singer uh, at the time. So yeah. Well, yeah. anytime you have the combination of Joni Mitchell and Cheech and Chong, like yeah, yeah. well, it's, it's just so Boop, Scooby. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so uh, yeah, it's so unexpected and so great. I don't know. I I find myself. It's probably because I've just spent so much of my life like listening to all these very serious songs and whenever you get these touches of light side whether it's that or like you know talk to me on don juan's reckless daughter just fun stuff and a lot of this record it's just such a nice it maybe doesn't hit you as like the most meaningful but it's just so fun and kind of irresistible from and if she had done more of that it wouldn't have been as right yeah yeah the fact that it's seldom yeah 
Yeah, exactly. She 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 picked she picked those moments very well. Um, okay, so then the last thing I wanted to ask about was uh, the big question: What are you listening to? Not just what are you listening to right now that you're liking? What is a suggestion that you can give anybody well, who needs something new to listen? We to? listen to tons of new music, um, and I listen to it for work because I need to know right. kind of the current pop stuff. But um, there's a couple artists that I find are just constantly being slept upon. And one of my favorites of all time is Super Free Animals. Uh, Super Furry Animals, if I say it too quickly. Um, they're, they're a band from Wales, and they were this kind of like vocal group that got mixed up in the drum and bass techno scene. Okay. And so I often kind of describe them as like Beach Boys on acid or something. They have this really great vocal harmony sound, but then the songs are really well written and acoustic bass, but then they also have this like uh, techno electronica side to them, nice. which I just think are so cool. And their album Rings Around the World is my favorite cool. album of all time. So I, I always tell people that one. Um, my other two favorite singers that people don't really know about are Lewis Taylor, who is a British uh, songwriter and guitarist and multi-instrumentalist who had this super short career. He recorded three or four, f- four proper albums and then just decided he didn't want it anymore and just totally gave up. But mm. um, his albums, uh, Stoned and Lewis, uh, are Lewis Taylor, this t- titular album, are just so cool and so beyond anything that I know. Um, and they're also kind of R&B flavored and inspired. And then um, Magnus Tingsek is the Swedish guy who also does kind of like, he records all the instruments and he's nice. he's got a great ear for harmony and melody. And he just came out with a, a, a new album, I'm trying to remember the name of it, uh, Amygdala. And I would highly recommend that everybody check that out because it's, it's so cool and it's got that really kind of warm uh, texture to it along with being really kind of challenging harmonically and uh, uh, long songscapes. So nice. ep- epically interesting. So. You gave me three new suggestions. Hey, I didn't know of these. Listening, yeah, and, and they were also songs that like when somebody shared them with me, I was like, never heard of this and mm-hmm. I consider myself a pretty well listened you know musician right. and so I've been really fortunate to dive into those and, and support them and I'll check them whenever out. I can so it's always good to have something that kicks I find myself listening to like too much of the same so yeah. it's good to have something that pushes us out of our like right. familiar so yeah. cool well thank you so much for doing this this was great I appreciate Absolutely. you being willing to talk about this well, fun and you know unusual and great record well thank you yeah I'm, I was I was glad to do it yeah thanks uh, hope we'll, we'll be back at some point and uh, thanks everybody for tuning in <laughs>